What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. New Yorkers haven't gone anywhere. Seriously, Big Apple subway ridership is down. COVID, crime, but now commuters. MTA CEO Jono Lieber on the new era for New York. The MTA is not totally dependent on uh, white collar workers. We've had people riding right through the pandemic and, and three-quarters of our riders are not white-collar workers who can do hybrid work. Seven years, $7 billion, and 10-ish schools. The Big Ten's huge sports media deal making headlines. Sports Biz executive George Pine joins us. College sports' as content is enormously valuable. The Big Ten is a big winner here. Those stories today, plus Bloodbath and Beyond, the latest in the meme stock soap opera, and reevaluating retailers in the world of direct to consumer. What is the reason for a Foot Locker to, to exist? A store that sells other brands when you can buy the brands directly these days. It is Friday, August 19th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky and Andrew are off today. Let's take a look at U.S. equity futures. I'm because not of off. We... Becky and Joe are off. Oh, I'm sorry. Be- Did I say Becky, Becky and Andrew are off? Uh, you I, said I Becky and Andrew off. And sometimes I act like I'm off. I know I'm on, <laughs> no, but I... But I never. I mean, I'm you're not totally with you. That happens. On, that you're, happens. you're at the top of your game. Always. Always. I'm sorry. I, didn't I recognize. Mean to say I think I was... Not always you know, on. Andrew was so on my brain that I had to say it twice. How's that? I got it. I got it. <laughs> Let's talk about this, Melissa, because this is wild. I need to hear what you have to think about this. Uh, an update on what has been uh, the saga of the week, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, a company, by the way, that, as you may, squawk watchers know Joe and I often talk about with great fondness, um, the company that is, or at least the stores. We like to go to those stores. But uh, Maybe not as much as we used to. A new filing uh, releasing yesterday showing that investor Ryan Cohen exited his position in the retailer. The filing showing that Cohen's RC Ventures dumped its stock on Tuesday and Wednesday at uh, prices ranging between $18 and $29 per share. The firm also sold its call options. The stock now down more than 40 percent in extended trading after a drop of nearly 20 percent during yesterday's regular session. It's now trading below Monday's closing price of $16 per share before the mania began. We talked about this, Melissa, yesterday with Becky, all of those folks who, uh, you know, thought he had diamond hands and he really had paper hands. And then, you know, he filed his intent to do it. And then people screamed at us, don't at me, people, when I said that he was selling his shares because everyone said, oh, it's not, he may not be selling his shares. may just be saying he may possibly sell his shares. Of course he was going to sell his shares. What else was he going to do? Anyway, I don't know what you think about this. But there is questions about the idea of potential manipulation and whatnot. Yes, he bought those options uh, back in March, but the disclosure of those options weren't made till now. He knew that was probably going to be the case, I would imagine, and then just took advantage of it. How do you think about that? 
As I understand the story, Andrew, um, the disclosure of the options was actually made months ago. Yes. And months was, ago. But months then it was, ago. Then so it's not new information. Then, the position correct. was was restated in a late right. in, in a filing this week, and people took the option stake as being new or or extra bullish or some which drove right. the stock much higher. I think from I mean I'm no lawyer. <laughs> Uh, so, so don't quote me on this, but it, it doesn't seem that Ryan Cohen did anything wrong, per se. No, no, I, I, I don't think I he did think anything that, wrong. The, uh -huh. the question is whether there's, there was such misinformation out there. I mean, it really was. It was shocking to see. And by the way, the news, you know, uh, news reporting picked it up that way as well, as, as if it was new in many cases. Um, and then he sold into it. I'm not saying he shouldn't have. I'm just saying I think there are people who are, who are questioning the whole, whole situation and how such bad information becomes real so quickly. I, I think this is really uh, sort of an illustration of how um, viral trading has become, how stocks can be whipped. So, I mean, this is sort of, you know, one of the poster children of, of the meme stock trade. So why wouldn't it trade? Yep off of this sort of information that goes viral on Reddit boards and Twitter and, and mainstream media picks it up. And by the way, oftentimes we pick it up because we see the stock moves based on what is going right. on. And so we report the stock has moved higher because of this yep. uh, people yep. latching onto the options position as being a new position. And that gets misinterpreted as us saying that the options position no, is a that, brand and, new and position. That, and that's very much what so happened. So it feeds but, on itself. And, and then there's the secondary issue, and, G and Jim Cramer uh, and I talked about it yesterday as well, which is this idea that at some level, you know, he has three board, he, he's not on the board himself, but he has those designees. And does that put you in a position to have, quote unquote, inside information? I don't know if this is, if this is technical, if this is a window you can sell into or whatnot. But, you know, obviously those who followed uh, Mr. Cohen down this road, uh, you know, are are frustrated and upset this morning. And the question is, does that change the dynamic in terms of his ability to bring uh, the whatever Pied Piper-like talents he has to others, uh, other companies and, and, and have folks follow him down? Do they follow again? We, I don't saw, know. we saw GameStop shares trade lower yesterday. I mean, it may, it right. maybe this throws into question his, his uh, commitment <laughs> to, to being a diamond hands for some of these stocks. I think that the, the, the situation is very different, though. I mean, he is actually the chairman of GameStop. It's right. a very different position than, than being an activist in a Bed Bath & Beyond. And by the way, the story changed greatly from the time that he entered the position in Bed Bath & Beyond to today, right, in terms right. of what the new, what that CEO, which is who's now the former CEO, what was thought would happen under him, and what has not happened. Hundred percent. He has left. The debt load has has right. skyrocketed. They they by the way reportedly hired Kirkland and Ellis to to deal with the debt load, um, and so the story is very no, different. So if can you're you him, him as you an should investor? be getting out. Right. If exactly. You're him, you should be. He's doing. He's doing everything. And he that locked he in a doing. game. I, so you know what? I don't Walk begrudge away. Good him. for you, Ryan Cohen. I don't begrudge him at all. In fact, I say. You know, go with it, and you you won the game. Good for you. I just say that there's a whole group of people, unfortunately, retail investors who have been following a lot of this, pushing these stocks to prices that make no sense, that are completely irrational, and don't seem to understand or want to listen. And it's it's very frustrating. I know that sounds so terribly paternalistic about it, but well, you know. It, no, I, I, because I, I don't want to see people get hurt. The flip side is that there's a whole legion of people who also made a profit on this.
That's true so too. So let's not let's That's not discount too. the retail investor necessarily. I mean, I think that there's both sides of it. I think a lot of people have gotten hurt. I think some people have made some money. The latest results from Foot Locker, the athletic footwear and apparel retailer, earning adjusted at one dollar and ten cent per share compares to a 79 cent consensus estimate. Same store sales uh, falling by about 10.3%, but that was smaller than the 14.6% drop that analysts had already predicted. Company also announcing, and this is probably the biggest news and why the stock may be moving the way it is, uh, former Ulta CEO Mary Dillon is going to be taking over as CEO uh, September 1st. I've known her for quite some time. I've, I've always been long, Mary Dillon, uh, Melissa, Quite a CEO, did some extraordinary things when she was at Alta. It was a bit of a roller coaster, that stock itself. But when you think about the transition from trying to be a bricks and mortar store to a digital uh, direct to consumer, I mean, that's that's what she did when she got there. Originally, I think sales were uh, online sales were at like four percent. I think by the time she left, they were about 30. And if you think about the conundrum that Foot Locker's facing, it's a similar story. Uh, which is to say they have to get more direct-to-consumer and digital. Um, they've relied for so long, Nike, as being sort of the driving force behind that company. 70% of their sales are from Nike. They want to get that down. They don't want any single uh, single brand to be more than 60%, which is probably too much anyway. Um, and, of course, one of the reasons this is all happening is Nike itself getting more and more digital, trying to sell direct-to-consumer, trying to bypass the footlockers of the world. So uh, she's going to have a job in store when she gets there uh, in September. I mean, she was a rock star at Ulta, uh, which is why footlockers totally. up so sharply. Uh, you know, for every quarter that Nike reports a steadfast, uh, you know, increase in, in DTC, that's a loss for footlocker. That's always the way investors have perceived that. A win for Nike on yep. DTC is a loss for footlocker. And so when you think about the department store space, for instance, and, you know, is there, you know, many people will lament the, the death of the department store. What is the reason for a department store to exist? What is the reason for a footlocker to, to exist? A store that sells other brands when you can buy the brands directly these days. That's sort of, yep. that's sort of the conundrum in a nutshell um, that, that footlocker faces. So it's a tall order here. Um, but people love their sneakers, right? <laughs> Hot sneaker drops. They love their sneakers, but the issue line. is that, that <laughs> Nike's doing such a good job right. of effectively taking the best sneakers and uh, some of the different collaborations and all of yeah. the stuff that gets people super excited, keeping that you know, on the app, on the right. digital platform. They're not sharing that with Facebook. Exactly. With, with Facebook. They're not sharing that with Foot Locker. <laughs> and so that's, that's when it gets complicated, and that, that's something she's going to have to grapple with. Yeah, absolutely. Meantime, I just got my coffee, by the way, Melissa, <laughs> uh, in it's Starbucks, just, just so you know, we're talking about Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks Chief Operating Officer John Culver is departing the company after two decades. It's part of a restructuring move that will eliminate that COO role. Culver is going to be stepping down in October and become an executive advisor until he leaves the company at the end of the year. Starbucks saying that many of Culver's direct reports will be managed by interim CEO Howard Schultz. That's just going to be hearing about all these big changes. Schultz planning uh, for the company. That's happening at Starbucks Investor Day. It's now scheduled. Market calendar September 13th. And shares of Starbucks are roughly flat since Howard Schultz returned. But if you've been watching, they've been climbing uh, recently up more than 15% if you count it since July 1st. We've got a market flash for you. Home decor retailer Wayfair announcing it will lay off approximately 870 employees. That's about 5% of its global workforce. The decision, part of a previously announced plan to manage operating expenses and try to realign investment priorities. 
Melissa, use Wayfair. There's a lot of I stuff on Wayfair. Like so much stuff on Wayfair. It's unbelievable. I know. It's like if you're looking for a shelf, it's it's almost overwhelming the choices yep. that you have for a white cube shelf. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's too many, too many. Decisions, decisions. Coming up on Squawk Pod. Ah, the New York City subway. Ridership is down, crime is up, and revenue is hard to come by. Andrew and Melissa are joined by the MTA CEO, John Lieber. It's not about the cost. It's, it's not about COVID anymore. It's purely about personal safety. We are still the safest big city in America. The bottom line is it's a safe place. It needs to feel safe as well. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Melissa Lee. Let's get to Andrew. Now let's uh, turn to a different topic. That is the return to office as a growing number of workers prepare to come back next month. New York City Transit might see a welcome boost in ridership. Late, lately, weekday riders only at 60% of their pre-pandemic levels. Joining us right now from Grand Central Station in New York is John Lieber, chair and CEO of the MTA. It's one of my favorite places in all of the city. Good morning to you. What are you expecting in terms of a return to work, in terms of what those numbers look like? If we're at 60%, if we, if we had this conversation a month from now, the, the end of the month, what do, you, what do you think the number will look like? I think we are headed in the right direction. You know, the MTA has been coming back slowly since Omicron began. But I'm starting to hear about the business community really starting to get people accustomed to three days a week and maybe four days a week rather than the one and two. Now, the MTA is not totally dependent on uh, white collar workers. We've had people riding right through the pandemic and, and three quarters of our riders are not white collar workers who can do hybrid work. So when kids go back to school, and normal business returns. I think we're going to see a move after Labor Day. Um, you've seen the numbers. You've seen the quotes. There is a lot of concern about security in New York City. Uh, policing uh, on subways, on buses, and other places. Uh, David Solomon, the CEO of uh, Goldman Sachs, just came out recently and said, look, this is a problem for our workers. And you're hearing it more and more. 
Um, whether it's true or not, or whether the perception is, 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 is worse than the actual situation, I think we can, we can have that debate. But the question is, what do you think you need from Mayor Eric Adams? What do you think you need from the city? How important is that perception? Uh, you're right. You know, we need our subways to be safe, but we also need them to feel safe. And Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams, we are blessed to have a mayor who's passionate about this issue, who is an ex-transit cop, who really is interested in subway safety and who rides the system very regularly. So I talked to Mayor Adams and what he's doing is uh, responding to our request to put cops on platforms and we're starting to see cops on the trains as well. That's what makes riders feel safe. They're telling us again, that again and again to the MTA in our surveys. I think we're headed in the right direction. But what, what do you do about, look, let's, let's be honest, I ride the subways, you see it. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of homeless folks on the subways. Uh, there's a lot of folks that seem to have to be mentally disturbed. You, you see them on the end, you know, in the end of a, 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 one of the trains, everybody moves to one other side of the uh, to the train. I mean, how, how do you solve that? Andrew, that's a really good point. There's a s relatively small number of people who have mental health issues. They're in the public space and they have a disproportionate impact on what it feels like to be in the public space. If, if they're behaving erratically, that's that's alarming to a lot of people. I think that the city and Governor Hochul leading the state are really prioritizing getting those folks into treatment, getting them into supportive housing. It's not going to happen overnight, but you're seeing mental health and clinical professionals at the end of our subway lines meeting the, the trains and trying to get those folks out of the public space, out of the subways and into treatment. That is going to make a huge difference. You're absolutely right, Andrew. Let's talk about the economics of your own business or your business unit, if you will. Um, we're looking at uh, $2.5 billion of deficit um, by some estimates, I think maybe by your own estimates. How, how do you get out of that hole? Well, what we're not going to do, uh, listen, in New York, as I always say, transit is an essential service like police, fire and sanitation. I say transit is like air and water for New York City. We cannot survive at our density without really effective transit. So what doesn't make sense is to slash service and dramatically increase rates. So I have started a discussion with leaders in Albany about a new model of transit funding. There's no reason that New York should be the only place in the United States where we rely on the fare box for more than 50% of our operating budget. This is a pro-transit governor and a pro-transit mayor and a pro-transit legislature. We're, I think we're gonna get there. It's just time to re-examine the funding model for mass transit in New York. That's gonna happen starting in, in January in Albany. Jana, I wanna uh, try, I'm a, as, a, as a New York City resident and a New Yorker, I wanna try an idea on you that I've been playing with for a while. What do you think would happen if for one month, and it could start in September, the MTA said, you know what? All subways, all buses are free. If you did I that, how much more, how many more people would get on those subways and buses? What kind of attraction would you actually, would you be able to sort of jumpstart the whole game back to work, back to using public transport? And actually it might solve some of the safety issues because you're gonna have a lot more people riding the trains. Listen, you know, you're, you, you run a business show, Andrew. So if you ask any of your CEOs where they start giving away their product for nothing without having a, an alternate funding source, I think they look at you like you're crazy, but it's not a crazy idea. Making it affordable is something that we do want to do, whether we can take it to zero, open question. But what we've been doing is doing all these new discounts to try to bring riders back, especially our suburban commuters. We've got a new 
20-ticket hybrid fare. We're making it easier to connect between the subways and the commuter rails. We want to use pricing to bring people back. Whether we could go all the way to zero, I think I need to have a backup financial plan in order to get there. But it's an interesting idea. And the core, the core concept, which is getting people back, is right on. Cost, though, is not a deterrent, I would imagine, for a lot of riders. I think it's a perception of crime. And I'm wondering, you know, do you agree with that? I mean, at this point, is it, is it the perception of crime? Because I used to be a typical subway ride. I would take the subway every single day. After my show, I would hop in the subway across the street and go home. I'd be home in 10, 15 minutes flat, door to door. It was the best way. Love the subway. I have not taken the subway since before the pandemic because of the fear of crime, particularly as an Asian American woman. And I'm just wondering, you know, how do you speak to a viewer, like, to a rider, former rider like me? I feel like there are plenty of me's out there. Um, it's not about the cost. It's, it's not about COVID anymore. It's purely about personal safety. Well, number one, Melissa, we want you back. And I will personally take you on your inaugural subway ride because <laughs> you, as you said, it's by far the easiest and fastest way to get around. I also think it's safe. If you look at the numbers, the probability of being a victim of crime on the subways actually is, you know, we are still the safest big city in America. The bottom line is it's a safe place. It needs to feel safe as well. That's why we love that Mayor Adams is putting a lot more MT, uh, uh, NYPD police, especially on the trains, as well as elsewhere in the subway system. Jana, we want to uh, thank you for joining us this morning. We want you to know we are rooting for you and we're rooting for the Amen. city of New York uh, to get back on its feet. And uh, you're, a, you're a central part of it. So we appreciate every, all the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Andrew. Next, a billion dollars a year in the new media deal for Big Ten college sports. How much pressure is this going to put on the NCAA to pay the players? We'll get into the business of student athletes and how more money could change the game. Sports and media investor George Pine on the big questions. If you pay the players, what happens to the funding of those Olympic sports? What happens to Title IX? This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Three, two, stand Andrew by. Up and Andrew, cue. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Melissa Lee. Joe and Becky are off today. A milestone in uh, TV land. Viewers spend more time in July watching streaming content than watching cable TV. According to Nielsen, it's the first month that streaming has overtaken cable. Streaming services captured 34.8% of total U.S. TV viewing during the month, while cable TV attracted 34.4%. Andrew. What do you think of that? I mean, you know what? I shouldn't say, what do you think of that? Of course this was going to happen. I know. I mean, this was bound (laughs) to happen. We knew it was happening. (laughs) Meantime, let's talk about some other media news this morning. The Big Ten Athletic Conference striking a massive deal. I don't know if you saw this, Melissa. It's a seven-year contract with Fox, CBS, and NBC. The price tag reportedly worth $7.5 billion. 
It's the richest contract ever for a college athletic conference, a potential factor of play. The Big Ten is adding UCLA and Southern California as members, which expands the geographic reach to add one of the nation's top media markets. Big Ten football and basketball games will be spread among the media partners and the streaming services. That, that contrasts, we should say, uh, with the Southeastern Conference exclusive deal. That's with Disney. And we should note that NBC and CNBC, uh, as you know, are both owned by parent company Comcast. We're going to talk a lot more about that story and what it means to sports and streaming and all of it uh, with uh, our guru, our sports and entertainment guru, George Pine. So um, I don't know, $7.5 billion. You know, this is, you know, all the athletes who wanted, uh, you know, to be able to get sponsorship deals and all sorts of things. And a lot of the, the moves that have happened recently to give them a little bit more access to all of this, I think, you know, ha had they not done that and then you and then you see a price tag like this, I think a lot of players would say this, this whole thing is ridiculous. Like, how come we can't get a piece? But now they can get a piece. And I think the conferences are really smart. I mean, um, you mentioned, you know, that basically each conference increases geographical sort of desirability and viewership by adding certain teams. And so they're getting really smart about how they're selling and really playing their hand right because they have, they're holding all the cards. I mean, these streaming platforms and, and linear TV, they need sports. Sports and news are basically the only reason to tune into linear TV. And it's a, certainly a big draw for streaming platforms. So, you know. Let's talk about the Big Ten landing that $7 billion media rights deal with Fox, CBS, and NBC. Join us right now to discuss what it means for college sports is Bruin Capital founder and CEO George Pond. George, this is a massive deal worth basically a billion dollars a year. Uh, they've changed the game by spreading this out among, among many networks now. And I'm curious how you think this changes sports rights. I mean, is this, is this sort of a, a seismic change that now never goes back in uh, the toothpaste is out of the tube kind of situation? A couple things, Andrew. One, it's a massive deal for a, a college conference, right? It's significantly more than the National Hockey League on its own, almost two times that of the National Hockey League. And when you aggregate the value of the rights of college sports, it's on par with the NBA, which is amazing because the pro leagues have single sellers and college has six different people selling a fragmented uh, set of rights. So what it means is college sports is content is enormously valuable. And then the second thing, I think the Big Ten is a big winner here. Why? Because they're going to get the promotional clout of Viacom, um, Com Comcast, and, and News Corp in a way that has never been applied to college sports before. They're on network television from noon on Saturday to midnight on Saturday with great promotion, great production qualities. It's definitely a game changer for the Big Ten and its member schools. So, George, how much pressure is this going to put on the NCAA to pay the players? I mean, we've been having this debate now for so long, but when you start to see these eye-popping numbers, and they've always been eye-popping, but now they're even outsized, does this change that? Does that change this conversation all over again? Well, I just think it puts more light on it. I think, unfortunately, what's happened here, the last Supreme Court ruling was pretty clear that I think eventually, in the next five to ten years, the players will have to, to share in the gate revenue and the media revenue. I think it's only a matter of time. And the question will be, will this be led by the courts? Or will be, this be led by the industry? Or does a governmental uh, uh, regulatory function take hold here? Because right now you have this multi-billion dollar industry affecting people all over the country, kind of 
because of, because of the fragmented nature, kind of floating out in the atmosphere. And, you know, the NIL was led by the courts. And I just hope that the courts don't lead the way here uh, on the future structure of college athletics. So who is going to lead the way? I mean, can you, can you imagine a day where the NCAA basically says, you know what, for the last 50 years we've been arguing this point, but actually we've decided to change our minds? Yeah, well, and when I look at the NCAA, Andrew, you know, it's a member institution with three divisions. And so I think it's kind of an antiquated model. I think that it's really there's a small set of schools, probably 65 or so, that have certain sets of issues that are quite different than 300 schools. And so I think it's very hard for the, the, the NCAA just represents its members. And I think it's very, been very difficult for the members to come together and have a shared vision. And that's why you take the NIL, it was led by the courts. It wasn't led by the NCAA. It wasn't led by the conferences. It wasn't led by the universities. So it's a fragmented. But what does this mean? And to the degree it matters, what does this mean for the smaller schools that are part of the NCAA? What does it mean for the non-revenue sports at those well, schools? It's a big issue, Andrew. What people have to come to grips with is college football and some basketball, but primarily football, underwrites football. Olympic sports. So if you take if you pay the players, what happens to the funding of those Olympic Olympic sports? What happens to Title IX? What it's going to disrupt the entire ecosystem within college athletics. And that's why this is better led from within the industry or if needed, much like the Super League, but by government, by the government. Somebody has to step in here and take hold and take control and organize this for the good of the game and the good of the student athlete. But who is going to, that's what I'm asking. If it's not the government, who's going to do it? Is the government, I mean, we talked, you talked, you mentioned the Super League. Government got involved, right? Correct. I mean, I think at some point, you know, is this, where, where you're going right now is an outcome led by the courts, further consolidation. I and mean, you saw Gavin Newsom speak about why is UCLA going into the Big Ten? That's really the first American politician to speak up. So I think the question is, is this going to be led from the industry or the courts, obviously be better by the industry. And in the middle of the road w would be the government. You see, I don't know if you saw, there's an article in the LA Times saying that the Regents Board in California thinks that they might actually be able to have authority over whether UCLA joins or not. Right, it's, I mean, it's a fair question. Is what, what, what does that mean to all the other schools in California? I mean, there's, there's much more to this than just, hey, I can get a few more dollars for a football contract. But of course, in fairness to USC and UCLA, they don't want to be left out in a consolidation game. And that's why there needs to be somebody that can take the lead here and see the whole right. view from, uh, for the entire industry. Right All now, right, let, me make it let me make it complicated for you, George. All the folks in the media business, including, by the way, NBC, parent company Comcast, owns, owns this network as well. What's the role of media companies to the degree you think there is a role in this very debate? Well, I think the media companies right now are doing what's best for their shareholders. And so they're trying to balance the interests of their shareholders with the interests of the people they're aligned with. And so if I'm a media company aligned with one network, you know, I'm not really as concerned about the other, other conferences. So, you know, when you have a fragmented industry, big stakeholders have a bigger role than perhaps they would in a, in a consolidated industry. And that's why consolidated leadership uh, would be best here for the industry. You think there's an antitrust case to be made, by the way, around NCAA? Well, I think if you look at the, what Judge Kavanaugh wrote, he said it was a 9-0 ruling, saying that essentially the way college uh, athletics is organized is illegal. I think for sure there's an antitrust case coming in the next five to 10 years.
There's an NHS coming there. There's an NHS coming in, uh, in the game of golf. There's a lot, lot going on here, George, and you're in the middle of it. We appreciate you being with us and helping break it down for us on a Friday morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Uh, thank you, Melissa, for hanging out. Pleasure. Hopefully see you next week. And that's it. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew was so on my brain that I had to say it twice. And thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. To get the best of Squawk Box, the smartest interviews and analysis from our three-hour TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.